The word of God, I must say to you, is quick and active. The word of God is living. The word of God is not just a mere written text. The word of God is living. It's a living thing. When the word of God proceeds, when it comes out from the mouth of God, as Matthew puts it, when it comes out from the mouth of God, it is a living and active word, powerful, able to effect change and change things. It is not a dead letter. God's word is living. I am talking about the word that proceeds from the mouth of the living God. It is active, it is powerful. Could you please turn with me to the book of Genesis and just permit me to just read a few verses from Genesis 13. Just a few verses from Genesis 13. Glory be to God. Genesis 13, verse 2. To 8, sorry. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his, ten his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hyam, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwell then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my headsmen and thy headsmen, for we are brethren. Someone, wherever you are, if anyone is closer to you, just say, let there be no strife. Or if you have imaginary persons in your mind, just tell them, let there be no strife. Let there be no strife. Let there be no strife. One fact of life about our human relationship is the possibility of strife or conflicts. Disturbances of peaceful relationships and these often 
does not just stay with a relationship. They spill over into the community and into the society at large. The, the wars that we often see or witness or hear about between nations often, be, often begins with just a little conflict between two persons. Something did not go right and sometimes these strives can or these conflicts can just be something that is happening in a marital home and it spills over. This family gets the arm, they get upset and the, another person takes it on and, it, it, and then it, it becomes a whole com, a tribal issue. This tribe now against that tribe. And sometimes it just starts just with two people in a home. They were just having a little, I call it a little, a little argument. Because the argument sometimes is just about, there is, I saw a rat pass by. And the husband says, there is no rat in my home. And the wife says, but I saw the rat. No, you come, you are blind. Are you insulting me? And you know, that just, just that kind of thing. And it leads to striving and it becomes, and the, the, the wife gets angry, packs her bag, goes away to her home. Dad comes in, mom comes in, uncle from the other family comes in. It becomes a big issue. They can't settle it. It becomes a tribal thing. It becomes a tribal war. And then the whole community is divided and it goes far. There are sons and daughters who are abroad in different countries, hear about it. They also begin they also take on the fight. Now they were communicating with one another. They begin not to communicate anywhere anymore. And then it becomes a big thing. And then over, over a period of time, they say, this family and that family, we don't agree. Woe betize you if you bring that man or that young man from that family, I mean, 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, 50 years later, bring a woman from that family to this family you come into marriage. They say, no, these two families don't agree. We have nothing in common. And it only began with a little thing. In a single room. Causes of these conflicts and strife is often because misunderstanding, disagreement. Sometimes it's, it's poverty because they are so poor, they are forever fighting. But hey, there is a beauty in poverty some, sometimes. Sometimes when people are poor, they understand each other. The reason I say this is this, that sometimes when people are poor, they agree. But the moment they become rich, the moment they become rich, then the troubles begin. Because prosperity and riches have a way of numbing the mind and making you unaware of your surrounding. It makes you so great, mighty, and powerful, you forget that you are human. And you forget about what is called peaceful relationship. You know when people, when children, they are all poor, they are all okay, they are all doing well, but then 
one person begin to get loads of clothes. They begin to get so much stuff. They have everything that their eyes can see. And then they see their other brother who doesn't have anything. And hey, sometimes trouble starts. Sometimes the trouble is that both of them become so great. And that is exactly the picture we have in Genesis chapter 13. And I want to bring your attention to this. Genesis 13. That sometimes when we become, when we become so rich, when we become wealthy, it leads to conflicts and strife. But what the Bible will show us is this, that faith in God is able to help us overcome these conflicts and strifes. Hallelujah. I would like to put it this way. Those who believe the promises of the promise of God's provision can be generous with their possessions. Should I say it again? Those who believe the promise of God's provision can be generous with their provision. They can be very generous because of their belief, because of their faith in what God can do for them or what God will do for them. Hallelujah. So prosperity, increase, having abundance is the issue here. Now come with me if you like. Here, we, here in Genesis we have Abraham, Abraham before he was called Abraham. We have Abram come from Egypt. You remember God calls him to step out of his family, step out of his comfort zone into a land that God will give him. So Abraham obeys and steps out. But when he comes, when he comes, what he realizes is that there is famine in the land. Yeah. It is interesting, isn't it? God tells you to go somewhere. And then when you go there, there is famine in that place. <laughs> it looks like the two don't agree. How can God promise me? And then when I come here, things are not rosy. Things are not great. Things are not nice. Faith always throws us into a challenge. And Abraham comes, so he goes to Egypt to sojourn in, in Egypt, and um, something happens in Egypt. I'm sure some of us are, are aware. His wife got taken by the king, but by God's mercy and grace, gets his wife back, and the king blesses him. So when he comes back from Egypt, he comes back rich with substance. But I see Abraham, in all his journeys, he does not go, he did not go alone. He went along with his wife and his nephew, which is um, Lot. And Lot also had a family. But the Bible makes us to understand that when Abraham comes back 
to the land. So Abraham moved from the land that God has called him to occupy. Hello. The land in which Abraham comes back to. The, 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 it says that from, from the verse 1. And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into, into the south. And Abraham was very rich in cattle and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been. His tent had been at the beginning. That is, he was here between Bethel and Har. He was here and he moved to Egypt so that he can get, you know, for greener pastures. So they call it. But he comes back to this place unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also went with him. So went, went with Abraham. Sorry, and Lot also, which went with Abraham, had flocks and herds and tents. So here we see Abraham traveling with his nephew, uh, uh, brother Lot. They both, I mean, Abraham comes back. Lot is journeying with Abraham. So a, Lot is rich because he's tagged along with Abraham. I, I, I guess we want to make that point very clear that Lot isn't rich all by himself. It's because he is with Abraham that he's also become rich. Are you with me so far? Just trying to take you us on a journey. So Lot is rich because walking with Abraham, he also becomes rich. So yeah. So God is good, hallelujah. God is good. God made it possible for them to be rich. And, 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 and watch the verse 2 again. Abram comes back rich in cattle, silver, and gold. He comes back very rich. You see, so riches is not something bad that God denies from his people, right? God's people may become prosperous, may become rich. Hello. And it's for a reason. He gives it. But let me say, if you are not that rich, it doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. Praise God. But the point I'm making here is that these two people come back and they are rich. They are both prosperous. That is the point we are drawing here in this particular passage. Hallelujah. Now, notice something. Notice something. In the verse 6, it says, And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. Now, before, before, before they were rich, they could dwell together. Now they are rich, they cannot dwell together. Why? Because... It says it right there in the verse 6. For their substance was great. They've increased. They've become big men. they become great. Gain substance. So that they could not dwell together. So the reason they cannot dwell together is because they become rich. They, they both have cattle, substance, and tents, and headmen. Helping them. Hello. 
And then the verse 7 says, And there was a strife between the headmen of Abram cattle and the headmen of lost cattle. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwell then in that land. Now, there's something I want to point out here before we go any further. God has called Abram to a land. But when Abram comes to the land, the Bible is making it very clear that Lot and Abram, who have come into this land, because God had told Abram to come, he's become so rich, he can't dwell together with his brother, because they both are rich. Indicating that the part of the land that they both have to live within is very small. Why? Because the Canaanites and the Parasites, who are the original inhabitants of the land, are still there. Hmm, that, that, that brings a question. So, so God, you are calling me to a promised land, but when I come into the land, there are people already occupying the land. So when God, is, when, when God promises you something, when God, when, and when I talk about promised land, understand, every one of us here has a promised land from, from God. What do I mean by that? Your promised land is your place of assignment as a human being. It's your place of purpose. Everyone, has a, everyone here in this room has a purpose. And in this purpose, you, you are to fulfill God's assignment. And that, so, so, so there is a specific area for everyone. It could be in the area of religion. It could be in the, in the area of education. It could be in the area of medicine. It could be in the area of, of, um, of legislation. It could be in the, in the area of business. So, so there are various fields, sports, art and culture. We can talk about, about 13 different areas that, that people can occupy. Maybe your field is, is, is fashion and beauty or whatever. So various areas. But... When God calls us to step into those areas, those areas are not vacant. There's the Canaanites and the Perizzites were already in that land. So that's a principle that we want to bear in mind. That when God calls you into your promised land, into your promised land, your area of assignment where you must fulfill purpose, you will not go to find it empty. You will, you, you will go to find it filled with people already. And if you come into an area like that, how do you sustain yourself? How do you find your place when it's already filled with people? How do you find your place? So straight away, that calls in for patience. Hallelujah. So when you come into that, you, you sense in your heart, you see, and your assignment or your promised land or your purpose is something that you will sense in your heart that this is what I, I feel God is calling me into. God is calling me into this area. This is what I have passion. I have a passion for this area. And I step in, but when you step into that area, the Canaanites and the Perizzites would already be occupying the place. So that we are aware. That we are not just going into a land. When it's a land filled with milk and honey, it's not just a land just sitting there, empty. And then you go and start occupying. No, there will be people in 
that land already. So the space that they had to occupy was very little. But they had plenty. So your space, the space for them to occupy was small, but then they had, made, they had, they had, they had plenty cattle. So they could not, both of them, fit in that little place. That is the problem. That's the problem. So what do we see here? So we see that their wealth, the increase that God has blessed them with, oh goodness me, the, the increase that God has given to them is now bringing in strife. Could something that God gives lead to strife? Yes. So God has given them blessing. God has blessed them. But God didn't give them strife. The strife is coming because we are having challenges living together. But is that what God wants? No. Is it common? Yes. Yes. It's common. And what is strife? A strife. When we're talking about strife, we're talking... The word strife is, is, it comes from that original word, rape. Which is... Which has this picture. It's a picture of, you know, claiming something and then, and then someone making a counterclaim. Like, this is mine. No, this, this is mine. No, this is mine. No, this is mine. I own this place. No, I do. I came in here first. No, I came in here second. And I came in here third. No, I have the right to that. I, I, I have this. No, I must have this one. No, I must have that. What, what you, are, you are struggling, having a conflict. Having, having, you know, a banter with someone on, on something. I want, you want it. So we have to fight for something. A quarrel. Striving. Where you, be, where you, you are for, you know, you can, striving also comes in a, in a form of continually memoring about something because you're not happy with the conditions that you've been put in. So you're always remembering under your breath. You are there, but you're remembering all the, all, all the time. Because, because you don't like what is going on. Striving. 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 Now, later on, we will see the same word used in Genesis 26 and the verse 20. In Genesis 26 and the verse 20, we see the same word used between, between Isaac and Abimelech. If you remember, Genesis 26 verse 20, please. Genesis 26 verse 20. Isaac and Abimelech. In, in the verse 20, it says this. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the place, sorry, and he called the name of the well Isaac because they strove with him. <laughs> so they were, it was the same herdsman situation. They had cattle. Isaac had cattle. Abimelech's men also had cattle. And they wanted water for their cattle. So one, once again, we see increase bringing strife. Abundance bringing strife. When things start going well for people, when they were all poor, everything was fine. But once you start increasing, you start getting wealthy, things going well for you, then strife begins to set in. Why? Because 
the nature of increase is such that you want places to put your stuff. Hello. Okay, let's bring it home. Let's bring it home. Let's say you, you and your brother living in a, or you, you, or you and your sister living in one room, okay? You all have nothing. You are all zero, okay? You all gone zero. You start working and then you begin to earn a few bucks, a few, a few money here and there, a few pounds here and there. And he, she is working, you're also working. And then with time, she is buying this, you know, little recorder. You're also buying this, 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 this little recorder. You are buying that book. She's also buying that book. And then you buy a bed. Um, a bedside drawer, she also buy a bedside drawer, and then you buy a, a chair to sit in to, to do your meditation, you know, med med Bible med meditation, she also buy her little chair to do her Bible meditation, because you all can't sit in the same chair at the same time, and so you all buy one, and the same little room, it's only a matter of time, isn't it? It's only a matter of time, one person will begin to say, you are infringing in my sp space. Only a matter of time. So yes, wealth indeed leads to strife. And here we see Isaac and Abimelech's men enter into strife. Then in Genesis 31, in Genesis 31, the verse 36, we see a similar thing between, between Laban and Jacob. Right. And Jacob was rough. Jacob was rough, of course. And chode with Laban. Now, the, the word chode there, we, we, most of us know that that word chode there means strive. With Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? You remember, Jacob was working for, for Laban, his uncle, and married, they married his daughters. That is Rachel and Leah. And at some point, Laban has cheated Jacob all these years, about 14 years, and Jacob had had enough. Actually, God told him to leave. So Jacob leaves, and, but as Jacob was leaving, Rebecca mistakenly, well, deliberately, or, on, or I'm not too sure, but Rebecca steals one of the idols, Laban's idols. So Laban comes home and gets angry, and uses the idol that is missing as a cause to chase Jacob. And comes to chase, comes to meet Jacob on the way and say, yes, you want to go, but why have you stolen my idol? And Jacob says, why would I steal your idol? What for? And so he was going to search. And if he's going to search, of course he will find it because Rachel has got it. But Rachel decided to sit on it. And when the father came, told the father, um, women's what is that? Wasn't that? She said that the women's uh, thing is upon me, so I can't get up. Whatever that meant, the women understand. I can't get up. So the father could not search where Rachel was sitting. So the idol was never found. So when Jacob found out that they couldn't find it, he now got rough and began to strive with Laban. But later on, they come to a peaceful agreement and everything is, is settled. Later on, later on, you will see that the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 17. If you read the verses 1 to 7, you will see that 
they will also strive with Moses about water. You remember? When they got to their place called where the place that Moses named Massa and Meribah, that they did not have any water and began to strive with Moses, Agu and Mema. Why have you brought us here? And all that. And all, why have you brought us here? Why should we die in Egypt? And all that. And God asked him to strike the rock and water came out and they drank. What are we saying here? It looks like wherever there's water issue, people always strive. Funny how. Funny how. So it's a natural thing. It's kind of like a natural thing. So what I'm basically saying is that it is natural that people will strive because they don't have enough of something. Or they are put in some kind of restriction. So their strive will surface. Or some misunderstanding on some issue. Or something, somebody wants something and can't get it. Or so, so there will be strive. God have mercy. Hallelujah. God have mercy. So there will be strife. There will be strife. There will be strife. But come with me to the verse 8 please. Genesis 13 verse 8. There will be strife. So having established that there will be strife. Abram said, sorry, Abram said unto Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between you and me. Hello. And between my headmen and thy headmen, for we are what? Brethren. It's not the whole land before thee. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou will take the left, I will go to the right. If thou will take the right, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and behold, all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zohar. So, Abram decided to solve this problem by doing something. He benignly or generously gave up his choice, his power of choice. Hello? Abraham said, do you know what? Lord, let there be no strife between you and me. There shouldn't be. And how does he do it? So because of that, he says, you know what? You, that land is before us. Either you go or I go, but you choose first. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who is following who? Lot is following Abram. Who has the land been promised to? Abram, not Lot. So it is Abram that God has given the promise to. 
But the one who has the promise of God is now telling the one who doesn't have any promise, who, who doesn't have that particular promise, because Lord's promise is elsewhere. But he tells him, Do you know what? I give you the permission, choose first. But the land has been promised to you. Yes, but you choose first. Choose first. Hello. You choose first. Now, he denied himself. He denied himself. I am not sure how any of us here, if you've been called to something, and the person who is tagging along, if there's an issue, you will tell him, no, you choose first. You say, do you know what? I think we need to talk. Yeah? I think we need to talk. And the tone of your voice even indicates who really has a right. I'm talking about the person who has a right in, the, in this matter. Abraham could have said, Lot, we need to talk. Come into my tent. You remember that God gave me, God, it was God that asked me to come here. And I asked you to come with me. So you need to get your men to step down. Get your men to come down. I don't want any trouble between you and me. Get your men to, to get down or go. But he said, no. Abraham said, do you know what? There should be no strife between you and me. So what I'm offering you is that the land is between the two of us. You choose first. How? Abraham chooses, so Lot chooses first. Yes, you choose first, not me. Let Lot choose first. I would like to say here that Abraham was ahead of his time. As far as the revelation of God from the Bible is concerned, Abraham was way ahead of his time. What he does here is it's only later in Isaiah we will get to know that when the Prince of Peace comes, war will cease, conflicts will cease, the, the lamb and the lion will draw together. Only later in Isaiah. So what Abram does here is really terrific. It, it's, it's marvelous. He was way, way ahead of his time. Why? Because of his faith or belief in the promises of God. Okay. I will explain myself further. Come with me to Exodus 17, please. Exodus 17. In Exodus 17, we have, from the verse 1, we have, and all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandments of the, of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Once again, there was no water for them to drink. Wherefore, the people did chide. Chide means strive with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide with me? Why strive with me? Wherefore do you tempt the law? So in their striving, they were tempting God. 
Because the things they were saying to Moses was, was attempting, if God is powerful, why can't he provide us with water? So basically, they're kind of like daring God to, to act. Daring God to do, if you're really God, do something. If you're really God, why can't you solve it? You see, and that is the way people who have no fear of God in their hearts, people who have no faith in God or believe in God, that's the way they talk. If he is God, why can't he do that? If he is God, why can't he do such? If he is God, why can't he do this? That is the talk of people who have no faith or confidence in God. Because God does not take theirs. He don't dare God. He does what he does when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, when he wants to do it, and if he wants to do it. I often say this. Oh, but if he's a God, if he's a God, why can't he? Now, let me say something here and very, very clear. I'll be very clear on this one. If the God you serve, right? If the God you serve fits so perfectly in your brain, he fits so perfectly in your mind, then he is not the God of the Bible. Because if you can reduce this God we are talking about to how you think alone, then he is not the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible is beyond my little peanut brain. I don't know about yours, but mine is peanut and he's above it. He lives beyond my brain. My thoughts are very little. His ways are higher than my ways. And his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. He's way up in heaven and I am here on this earth. He is bigger and mighty. So you see, I cannot. And so, well, how can you prove God? You see, anything that can be proved, anything that can be proved cannot exist. Yes, I know that. If something can be proved, it cannot exist. Thank you very much. So how would you prove it? Yeah, I mean science, science, science. But I'm glad you mentioned science and no other thing else. If you had said a spirit, I'll say the spirit has already done it. But since you said science, let me say this here. Now, science only works with the senses. How then do you test for a God who goes be, who lives beyond your senses. You are limited. So that's the limitation of science. So science can only test when the things fall within our senses. But the God of the Bible is beyond our five senses. So how do you test for him? How do you test for him? So how can science then prove or disprove the existence of God most high. How can it do that? Impossible. So basically, the God of the Bible is beyond the jurisdiction of science. Science does not, does not have the capacity to understand. Unless science begins to embrace metaphysics, you know, the supernatural. When science begins to open up, to the realm of the spirit, then it can test for God. But if science is closed up to the region of the spirit, then science would never find God. So here, they tempted God. And the Lord said on verse 5, the Lord said unto Moses, 
Okay, verse 4. And, the, and, the, and Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Lord, what shall I do unto these people? They be, they be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee the elders of Israel, and with thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thy hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding or the striving of the children of Israel. And because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord amongst us or not? So Massa means testing and Meribah means striving. So in their striving, they tested the Lord and provoked him to anger. Now, what was God's response to this striving? When the people strove against Moses and against God, God did something. And that is what I want us to look at right now because so that we will really be able to understand what Abraham is doing in Genesis chapter 13. Now, if you come with me to Psalm 95 and the 8th verse, please. Psalm 95 verses 8 to 11. Psalm 95 and the verses 8 to 11. And I want to point something out to you. Something that God says here. Which is really very important to us. Hallelujah. Someone. Hallelujah. Praise God. Wherever you are. Praise the Lord. Now in the verse 8. In the verse 8. God says something. Psalm 95. Harden not your heart. As in the provocation. As in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation. Hello, how many? Forty years. Forty years. God says, I was grieved with this generation. And said, it is a people that do err in their heart. And they have not known my ways. Now, watch this. Unto whom I swear in my wrath. That they should not enter into my rest. Now, so, because they strove, because of, because of their striving, God decided they would not enter his rest. Come with me to Hebrews chapter 3, please. Hebrews 3, 8 and 15. Hebrews 3, 8 and 15, please. Come with me. Hebrews 12, sorry, Hebrews 3. Harden... Not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, right? Verse 15. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. So basically, when God is speaking, when God brings us his word, men should not be striving with God, hardening their heart. I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not, I, 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 you know, people do that all the time. As for me, no, 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 no. I don't, I'm this. They, they argue about the things of God. They argue so much, so much, so much. But what am I saying? Where am I going with all this? Where I'm going with all this is in Deuteronomy 12, verse 8. All that I've said so far, hear me on this one. Deuteronomy 12, verse 9. Okay, 8, okay, 8 is fine, 8 and 9. Ye shall not do after all the things 
that we do here this day, every man will serve his right in his own eyes, right? Don't do that. Now to verse 9. For ye are not as yet come to the rest until the inheritance which the Lord your God giveth you. So here in Deuteronomy, the writer of Deuteronomy defines for us what God means by the word rest. When he said that they will not enter his rest. See that because of your striving, Psalm 95 verse 8, because of the strivings of Israel with Moses and, and, with, and, 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 with, and with God, God decided these people will not enter my rest. So what happened, so, and, and the rest here means, or the, the rest here refers to the inheritance. Hello. The rest here refers to the inheritance. What we started off with, that is the promised land. The land that God promises every individual. Your, perp, your place of assignment, your purpose. God is saying, as you engage in strife, I will not be able to lead you into that. I will not give you that place. You won't have it. So that's how serious striving is. And that's what what is important for us to look at this passage today. That as a person engages in striving, you will limit yourself. That is when you enter God's, when you enter the rest of God, you enter the rest of God, when you've come into that land and he's given you, you know, peace in all your surroundings and you are able to now build. Remember, David fought all the battles. He was fighting. David was a fighting man. But bef- and before he died, he had fought many of the battles and conquered many of the people around. So when Solomon came, it was a time of rest and Solomon was able to build so God has called you called me called all of us here to enter our purposes and our prom- and our in- and our inheritance here in this in his life God has got a mission an assignment and a purpose something that will make you live a fulfilled life here on this earth but strive will keep away from it he said you will not enter my rest so what happened what did God do God made sure that all those people who were 20 years and above he made them go through the wilderness round 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 for 40 years until all of them were dead by the time they were ready to enter the promised land the Bible says that all those people all those fathers who came from Egypt they were all dead only the <coughs> only Joshua and Caleb was able to enter the promised land, that rest of God, with, the, with those who were younger. So those who entered the promised land were the little ones. But the fathers who came, who were striving with God and all that, all of them, no one entered. Hello. Let me put it this, this way. Striving, this, this is the principle. Striving will keep us from entering God's promised land in our lives. Striving will keep us away from entering that place. A person whose heart is full of strife would always feel frustrated 
Because they'll be wondering why they are never entering where they're supposed to enter. They are forever, you are forever striving with someone. So you don't even have the peace of mind. You see, the rest of God indicates peace. And you can only build when there's peace. Who builds during a time of war? No one. You build in a time of peace. So when God gives you rest around you, then you're able to build. But when there's unrest, when you've not entered where God wants us to build, then how do we build? That's why strive is dangerous. Where you're forever quarreling. You're forever struggling with someone, forever fighting with someone, forever engaging some battle with someone. You are angry with your boss or you are angry with your spouse or you are angry. You're forever striving with someone about something. No need for it. Hello. Striving. It's only when you see striving, then you begin to see the way forward. There's so much, I say this to our present situation. There's so much going on. And naturally, naturally, humans, we will strive. Because you don't like what is going on. Someone is trying to infringe on your right. Someone is trying to, no, you, no, you can't take it. No, you can, I, I, I will take it. No, you can't take it. And it leads to strive. And as long as we engage in that and fill our heart and mind with this kind of struggle going on, there is no way we are ever going to make any way forward. That we need to come to the place where Abraham was. Father of faith. Where was he? He said, let there be no strife amongst us. Abraham was way ahead of his time. Let there be no strife. Let there be no strife. Striving is dangerous. Keep your heart away from strife. Let's work towards peace. What is more? There was something Abraham said in the, in the text. Let's go to it. Genesis chapter 13, please. Something Abraham said in the verse 8. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 8. Uh, sorry, 13 verse 8. Abraham said, And Abraham said, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between you, my, between me and thee, between my, my headman and your head and thy headman. And what's the reason? For we are brethren. We are brethren indicates that, you see, we are relatives or we are brothers. What Abraham was saying here is this. What Abraham was saying here is this. We have a long time bond. There's a bond between you and me. Let us not allow anything to come between this bond that we have. As brothers, we've come a long way. Why should this issue bring strife, contention, struggle, quarrel, disagreement between the, the two of us? Why should he do that? Or between your headmen and my headmen? We are relatives. We are relatives. So let's maintain the bond of unity. Praise God. And Bible encourages us to do the same thing in the New Testament. That, hey, let's maintain the bond of unity. Praise God. So what's the principle here? The principle here is this. Responsibility for your brother or neighbor can help you solve quarrels 
in the form of peaceful separation. Hallelujah. It's only when we take responsibility for our brother or our neighbor. So I'm in a relationship with you. Or we are in a relationship with one another. We are in some form of bond. It's only when I become responsible for you. Then I can act in a manner that will promote the peaceful relationship that is needed for the bond. Hello. Is someone hearing me this morning? Peaceful relationship. Peaceful or peaceful separation. Abraham was not telling Lot, go away, let's not be together again. No, that was not what he was saying at all. He was just saying that, you know, let's give ourselves space. But you choose first. Choose first. Responsibility. You see, the reason this is key the reason this is a principle we must, we must keep is that in Genesis 4 verse 9, in Genesis 4 verse 9, it was lack of responsibility that led to the first murder in the earth. When God came to Cain and asked Cain, Cain, why is your brother able? This was Cain's reply. Cain's reply was, where God said, where is thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? That was the question he asked God. Am I my brother's keeper? So as long as I take this position that I am not my brother's keeper, then I wouldn't really care what happened to my brother. And I wouldn't want to safeguard that peaceful bond that we have between us going. But it's only when you become mindful that, hey, you know what? I need to become mindful of my brethren. What I'm doing is causing conflict. My lifestyle, my way, my manner, my actions is not helping this particular group or this relationship. So I need to, you know... Be mindful of them. Take a stand. Do something so that this peaceful relationship can continue. But if I keep on insisting on my rights and my way, I am destroying the bond or the peaceful relationship. So responsibility for my brother is key. It's a principle we want to keep. Responsibility for my brother. Responsibility for my neighbor. Responsibility for my friend. Hallelujah. Oh, let me put it this way. People of faith take responsibility for their brother or for their neighbor. Hello. They take responsibility for the well-being of their neighbor or their brother. They take responsibility. Praise God. You see, when you don't... and. Cain is a very good case for what we're going to say next. Because if you are not walking in faith in God, you will not take any responsibility and your actions will lead to dire consequences. God have mercy. And the truth is this. Those who do not walk by faith, but walk just by their eyes. They walk just with their eyes. They walk by sight. Those people get deceived. 
if you walk by faith, you will be able to take responsibility for, your, for the well-being of your brother. But if you don't, you will be deceived. Now come with me, please. If you Come with me to the verse 10, please. To the verse 10 of Genesis chapter 13. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld. So when Abram told Lot to choose the, the land, right? Abram gave Lot the right to choose whatever he wants. Hallelujah. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou cometh unto Zohar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Please take note of these words. When God, when Abram gave Lot the chance to choose first, this is what Lot did. Lot lifted his eyes. Lot did not consider, oh, Abram, you are the one I'm following, so you take the lead. No. Lot lifted his eyes and he looked. Hmm. Nice land. It looked very nice. It was well watered. The Bible itself says what he saw was like the land of Eden. That means he could see rivers going through the land. That means his cattle is going to be well sorted out. Everything was fine for him. Hello. He said he looked and he saw and he chose. <laughs> Hello. He looked he looked, he saw, so, so, so is he, so Lot looked, and then Lot chose him all the plain of the Jordan, and he journeyed east. He looked, he looked great, lifted up the eyes, looked, and then he made his choice. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing what the eyes can do to you? The eyes, the eyes, the eyes, the eyes, the eyes. I'm going to make a very important principle here, but let's get this first. Lot lifted his eyes, looked at the land, and saw that it was wonderful. So he went for it. In Genesis chapter 3, isn't that the same thing too? Isn't that the same thing that Eve does? After the devil told Eve about the tree, look, uh, Eve also lifted her eyes and saw that the tree was something delightful, something to eat from. Come on, come on. Genesis chapter 2, please, because it looks like um, I'm not communicating. Genesis chapter 2, please, verse 10. Sorry, did I say verse 10? Praise the Lord. Okay. Okay. Right. Did I say verse, chapter 3? Sorry. Did I say chapter 2? Sorry, 3 please. 3 please. Verse 6. And when the woman... 
Genesis 3 verse 6, please. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, saw, right? And that it was pleasant to the eyes, the eyes, the eyes, the eyes, the eyes. The eyes is what leads most of us into trouble. The, what our eyes see, the eyes, the eyes, the eyes. Tell, if your husband is walking by you or your wife is walking by you, wherever you are, just tell them, be careful with your eyes. 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 Your eyes. The eyes. He saw, saw, saw. He, she, she saw and it was beautiful. It was pleasant to the eyes. Ah, that's nice. I want to have it. It looks great. I want to have it. The eyes. You see, so when Eve saw, when Eve saw the tree was good for food, she forgot about every other consideration. In the same way, when Lot saw the land that it was beautiful, Lot forgot about every other thing else. And he made his choice. What principle do we see in this? What principle do we see here with Lot? Lifting the eyes, seeing, and choosing. The principle is this. When you allow your eyes alone to influence your decision, you will end up sacrificing the best things in life. Should I say it again? When you allow your eyes alone to influence your decisions, you will end up sacrificing the best things in life. Basically, what I'm saying is that God did not give us the eyes to make decisions, the mind. Our eyes are meant for looking. Our eyes are not meant for decision making. So don't use your eyes to decide on things. Your eyes have seen it. But is it good for your tummy? Oh, I'm not allowed to eat this, but I'm not allowed to touch this one. But I know I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not allowed to eat this, but it looks so delicious. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. And also, our taste buds are not given for decision making. It's for just eating food. I say this because yesterday I set myself up. I set myself up. I was left at home. And um, I forgot I, I, I had a meeting here. So I was, I was, I was at home. I said, okay, right. It's the morning. I'm a bit hungry. Let me have some cereal. So okay, I was going to have cereal. And okay. And I know that what we call evaporated milk is not good for my tummy. It makes my tummy bloat and I struggle the whole day. But the thing is, and I had my, my normal milk, which I could use, but I'm not used to that milk and cereal. So I went ahead and I opened this evaporated can and I put it in the cereal and I ate. And up to the night time, my tummy was still. <laughs> now for yeah, yeah, you made a decision based on your taste buds. But hey, you don't make decisions on your, from your, by, by your eyes. The eye is not a decision maker. Neither is the taste buds. Right? Okay. Hmm. Praise God. 
And, and, and why am I saying all this? Look, look, look at the Genesis chapter 13, please. Look at the Genesis chapter 13. I'll be done in a few minutes. Look at the Genesis chapter 13. You see here, it says that Lot chose. Listen to what it says here. God made sure that after Lot chose, right? After Lot chose, the writer gives us a commentary on the passage. So we will know the choices that Lot was making. Watch this. Abram, verse 12, Abram dwelt in the land. Abram dwelt in the land and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and he pitched his tent towards what? Towards Sodom. Okay? Oh, sorry, sorry. Verse 10, verse 10, verse 10, verse 10. Come to verse 10 first. And Lord lifted up his eyes, and behold, all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before. And now he says, before the Lord did what? Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So right here, the writer makes us to understand that the choice that, the choice that Lot was making was only temporal. It, it was not going to last. The land that he saw so beautiful, it was only a temporal beauty. God was going to destroy it. So the decision he was making based upon his eyes, God was going to destroy it. So the writer wants us to understand that. It was beautiful. But the beauty was not permanent. It was only temp- It was going to last for a short, a short time. And sometimes the decisions we make with our eyes are only short. For short, they look beautiful just for now, but tomorrow it will not be there. Hmm. Praise God. Hallelujah. You see, these men were wicked men, and God wasn't going to let them have that land. You see, I'm, I was wondering, God, if Sodom and Gomorrah, actually, verse twelve. Let's let's look at it. Verse, sorry, verse 13, verse 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Hey, they, they were wicked and sinners. Other versions say they were wicked sinners. So they were sinners who were wicked. Wow. So there's a, <laughs> an adjective to qualify the, you know, wicked sinners. And it says, before the Lord, before preposition. I thought every sin was before the Lord. But he said, exceedingly. So here, he's making us know the kind of people that Lot was going closer to. Wicked sinners. I mean, you, we all know what Sodom and, and, and Gomorrah stand for. Those who, obtain, those who turn God's ways upside down. When God says, this is north, they say no, this is south, and this is north. Sodom and Gomorrah are those people, hello, Sodomites and, Gom- <laughs> and Gomorrites are people who when God says this is an opening, they say this is an exit. You didn't get that. When God says this is an exit, those people, Sodom and Gomorrah say this is an entrance. I've come to what... <laughs> 
They are those people who turn God's, God's ways and God's rules upside down. And when they do that, they want the whole world to follow. But if you are going to disobey God, go alone. Don't call my children to follow. An exit is an exit. Not an entrance. Keep it the way, it, the way God made it to be. Amen? Amen. So that was what they did. So Lot was making a choice to go closer to these people. So what he chose by his sight was eventually going to be his own doing. Eventually, we know the end of, 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 the, of, the, of the story. It didn't end Lot very well. Now, you say, well, Lot was a bad man. No, 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 no. Lot was not a bad man. Lot wasn't a bad man. Second Peter 2 verse 7 makes, makes, makes us to understand that actually Lot was a righteous man who only made a choice by his sight. Second, Second Peter 2 7 calls him a righteous man. So Lot wasn't a bad man or a wicked man. He was a good man, but he made a decision based upon his eyes. And that cost him. It cost him, it cost his wife, eventually. It cost almost everything. Because Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, was sulfur from above. They had to run for their lives. And their wife had gotten so used to Sodom, she looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. Eventually, he became a drunkard and died. God have mercy. Hello. You see, but the good thing is this. Those who walk in faith, who, who walk in faith in God, would always be comforted and be lifted by God when they make those sacrifices. People who walk in faith are generous. The things that God gives them, they are able to offer them, put them on the table because they know that the God who has promised them will never deny them. So if, if it needs for peace, whatever God has promised them, they put them on the, on the table. Is someone hearing me? Those who walk in faith, whatever God gives them, has given Whatever God promises them, they are able to put it on the table for all to enjoy. Why? Because they believe that the God who gave them is able to give more. He's able to provide abundantly for them. It's only people who don't have faith. Only people who are very hard, who don't have any faith in God, that keep, you know, when people are trying to hide the little that they have, it's an indication that they don't really believe God's supply. But for people who believe in God's supply, they are not afraid to put what they have on the, on the table. This is all I have, but let's have it. But a person who has no faith in God wants to keep it in, in his pocket. Hello. But people who trust God, they're able to open up their resources and say, hey, come on, let's all enjoy it together. Why? Because God is able to supply my needs. And watch what God did. The moment Lot left Abram, God did something. From, from the verse 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, Genesis 13 verse 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot separated from him, God said to Abram, 
Lift up now thine eyes. Watch this. The very thing that Lot did, God asked Abraham to do exactly the same thing, but this time around with a different end. Watch it. And the Lord said, Lift up now thine eyes and look from where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. Hello. What, what God is doing here indicates that he approved magnificently what Abraham did. Hello. Why would God come and, and reaffirm the promise and even tell him what is going to give him more insight into the promise? That means he, he loved it. That Abraham used his faith in God to establish peace. Because strife is not something that God loves. So God was very pleased. So Abraham, well done. You are way ahead of your time. Well done. And I'm telling you, this land will be yours to your children. And I'm going to do A, B, C, and D with, with, with you. And guess what else God did? Now, guess what? Verse 17. God now told him, Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Hello. You see, after God gave Abraham an assurance and reconfirmation of the promise because he was generous with what he had given him as a way of stopping strife, God did something. God now told him, Abraham, now get up. Walk through the whole land. Have a feel of the land. This is what I'm going to give you. Have a feel of the land. What was happening here? Lot looked. He, he saw. Lifted up the eyes. Saw and went for it. But here, when Abraham was asked to look, he just looked. And he just saw. It was God himself that told him, Abraham, now rise up and walk through the land. Hallelujah. This is a principle. When we lift up our eyes and we see things, let's wait for the inspiration of the Lord before we move forward. Hallelujah. Did someone hear me? When you, we will be looking. As we go on about, we'll be looking at things. But when you are looking at things, let it be by the inspiration of God. What I mean by the inspiration of God is this. Get a prompting in your spirit, in your heart, about what God wants you to do, about what you are seeing, before you start moving. Don't move just like Lot. He just saw and went for it. But with Abraham, when God showed him, God himself spoke and said, now arise and walk through it. Inspiration. So Abraham only moved to the north, south, east, and west because God prompted his heart to do so. Hallelujah. Amen. A very important principle. Praise God. So let's wait. Let's wait. When we see, let's wait or let's be in expectancy for the inspiration. For if God causes you to see, he will inspire your heart on what to do. Let's expect the inspiration. 
and let's respond or move upon the inspiration of God. And finally, I want to do this before I, end, before I sit down. Let me do this finally. Finally. Watch this. Watch this. Then Abraham removed his tent and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Beautiful, isn't it? You see, this, this whole chapter began with Abraham building an altar unto the Lord. And it ends with Abraham, once again, building an altar unto the Lord. When he came back from his struggle in Egypt, he came to the place of the altar. When he had an increase and came to the land, he built an altar. When God gave him the promise, he built an altar. Hallelujah. Telling us that Abraham was a man who was very much, who was, who was very devoted in his worship to God Almighty. He was a devoted worshiper. Praise God. Those who have faith are devoted worshippers of Almighty God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. You see, those who worship God Almighty are able to handle strife when it comes. It is our worship of God that will, that will strengthen our hearts to be able to deal successfully with strife. When, because strife will come. Strife will come because of increase. Strife will come because of our dealings with one another. But when those strife comes, it is the encouragement we've had from our worship with the Lord. Our devotion. He was a man of great. Abraham was a man of great devotion. He was a man of prayer. That, that's what I'm trying, to, I'm trying to say. Are you a man of prayer? Are you a woman of prayer? Are you a boy of prayer? Are you a girl of prayer? Are you, a, are you someone who is given to prayer? You know, when things went well for Abraham, he came back with riches. He prayed. Some people, when they get riches, they stop praying. Some people, when they receive a promise from God, they don't even pray about it. I've received a promise from God. Thank you. But Abraham built an altar. It was where they would send worship unto God, prayer unto God. Are you a person of prayer? Are you a person, of, are you a person who, is, who is devoted in your worship? Devotedness in your worship will strengthen your heart to handle strife very well. Abraham was a man of faith. It was his faith in God. His belief in God that God is able to provide. God is able to give him abundance even when he is generous and gives it out. God is able. Those who are greedy, anxious, and covetous have not understood the nature of God. Hello? If anyone is greedy, anxious, and covetous, and will never lend a penny, a pin, nothing to anyone, that person hasn't understood the nature of, the nature of God's covenant with him. That God is a generous God. He's a bountiful God. But hey, those who believe the promise of God are able to be generous with their possessions. Those who believe in the promise of God's provision that God will provide, 
they are able to be generous with their possessions. This is what faith does. It will avoid strife. It will bring peace. Faith, our faith in God is able to help us overcome strife. Because when we have faith in God, then we know that, you know what, if I let this thing, if I let you have it, okay, have it, you want it, have it. God will give me more. That is a person who has faith in God. That's how they think. And that's what Abraham was doing here. If I let it go, God will give me more. So I struggle with you. I won't struggle with you. My God is able. You see, you can put me in prison like Paul. But the word of God will still go out forcefully. You can put me in chains, but the gospel cannot be put in chains. So those who have faith in God are never disturbed. They are never bitter. No matter what you do, faith will help us overcome strife. We don't live, you know, angry and upset all the time and moody and all the No, we don't do that. And going about casting insinuations and all that. No, we don't do that. Why? Because our faith in God tells us that, hey, what, what, what do you think you are taking away? God is able. He has multiple ways of doing whatever he wants to do. When one door closes, closes another would open for us. That's our God. He's a way maker. And because he's a way maker, we don't fear. We don't live in intrepidation. Oh, my world is coming apart because of what you have done. No, my world ain't coming apart. My God is able to make a way where there seems to be no way. Where there seems to be no way, my God will make a way. Our God is good. If you are hearing me this afternoon, I want to bring my message to an end right now. I may have taken a bit too long to bring my point out, but I want you to know something. You are hearing me, but you are not born again. You don't know Jesus. You have no faith in Christ. You are full of greed. You are anxious about many things. You are covetous. You wouldn't give anything out to anybody. You are, you are not, you are not gen- you, you cannot be because you have no faith in God. You are living all by your senses. You are only living by what you, put, what you have. You, you only look at just you and what you have. And, and you, you are limited. That's why you are so greedy and so anxious about stuff. But today, if you would turn away from all these things and focus on God, focus on the master, focus on Christ Jesus today, he will give you life. He will change you. You will become a woman or a man of faith and you will start to live a generous life. You will be generous with the possessions that God has given unto you. Then you will bring peace wherever you are. You will begin to become responsible for your neighbor and for your, and for your, and for your brother and establish peace. There's chaos all around you, but you can stop, you, you can start ending that, all those strifes, all those conflicts. It can be ended through faith. You see, we overcome this world but our faith in Christ. And today, I want you to bow down your head. That's 
you're not born again and say Lord Jesus my life is full of troubles and struggles and all that I want to begin to experience the peace the peace I don't want to live and strive and deny myself I'm not entering into my rest I seem to be struggling all through life I want these things to end I want to begin to experience fulfillment in my life today I understand that because of my striving that's why I'm not entering your rest I'm not entering your inheritance I'm not I'm not entering your portion for my life but I, I want to enter today forgive me and give me your life thank you father for hearing my prayer in the name of Jesus I also pray for healing wherever you are anyone not not so well in their bodies I pray be healed in the name of Christ Jesus be healed the word of God I must say to you is quick and active the word of God is living the word of God is not just a mere written text the word of God is living it's a living thing when the word of God proceeds when it comes out from the mouth of God as Matthew puts it when it comes out from the mouth of God it is a living and active word powerful able to effect change and change things it is not a dead letter God's word is living I am talking about the word that proceeds from the mouth of the living God and it's active and it's powerful